The Hobbit, Chapter 8, Flies and Spiders, Part 3. Bilbo saw that the moment had come when he must do something. He could not get up at the brutes, and he had nothing to shoot with. But looking about, he saw that in this place there were many stones lying in what appeared to be a now dry little water course. Bilbo was a pretty fair shot with a stone, and it did not take him long to find a nice smooth egg-shaped one that fitted his hand cozily. As a boy, he used to practice throwing stones at things, until rabbits and squirrels, and even birds, got out of his way as quick as lightning if they saw him stoop. And even grown up, he still had spent a deal of time at quoits, dart throwing, shooting at the wand, bowls, nine pins, and other quiet games of the aiming and throwing sort. Indeed, he could do lots of things besides blowing smoke rings, asking riddles, and cooking that I haven't had time to tell you about. There is no time now. While he was picking up stones, the spider had reached Bomber, and soon he would have been dead. At that moment, Bilbo threw. The stone struck the spider plunk on the head, and it dropped senseless off the tree, flat to the ground, with all its legs curled up. The next stone went whizzing through a big web, snapping its cords and taking off the spider sitting in the middle of it. Whack. Dead. After that, there was a deal of commotion in the spider colony, and they forgot the dwarves for a bit, I can tell you. They could not see Bilbo, but they could make a good guess at the direction from which the stones were coming. As quick as lightning, they came running and swinging towards the hobbit, flinging out their long threads in all directions till the air seemed full of waving snares. Bilbo, however, however, soon slipped away to a different place. The idea came to him to lead the furious spiders further and further away from the dwarves, if he could, to make them curious, excited, and angry all at once. When about fifty had gone off to the place where he had stood before, he threw some more stones at these and at others that had stopped behind. Then, dancing among the trees, he began to sing a song to infuriate them and bring them all after him, and also to let the dwarves hear his voice. This is what he sang. Old fat spider spinning in a tree. Old fat spider can't see me. Edderkop, edderkop, won't you stop? Stop your spinning and look for me. Old Tom Noddy, all big body. Old Tom Noddy can't spy me. Edderkop, Edderkop, down you drop. You'll never catch me up your tree. Not very good, perhaps, but then you must remember that he had to make it up himself on the spur of a very awkward moment. It did what he wanted, anyway. As he sang, he threw some more stones and stamped. Practically all the spiders in the place came after him. Some dropped to the ground, others raced among the branches, swung from tree to tree, or cast new ropes across the dark spaces. They made for his noise far quicker than he had expected. They were frightfully angry. Quite apart from the stones, no spider has ever liked being called Edderkop and Tom Noddy, of course is insulting to anybody. Off Bilbo scuttled to a fresh place, but several of the spiders had run now to different points in the glade where they lived and were busy spinning webs across all the spaces between the tree stems. Very soon the hobbit would be caught in a thick fence of them all around him. That at least was the spider's idea. 
Standing now in the middle of the hunting and spinning insects, Bilbo plucked up his courage and began a new song. Lazy Lob and Crazy Cob are weaving webs to wind me. I am far more sweet than other meat, but still they cannot find me. Here am I, naughty little fly, you are fat and lazy. You cannot trap me, though you try, in your cobwebs crazy. With that he turned and found that the last space between two tall trees had been closed with a web, but luckily not a proper web, only great strands of double-thick spider rope run hastily backwards and forwards from trunk to trunk. Out came his little sword. He slashed the threads to pieces and went off singing. The spiders saw the sword, though I don't suppose they knew what it was, and at once the whole lot of them came hurrying after the hobbit along the ground in the branches, hairy legs waving, nippers and spinners snapping, eyes popping full of froth and rage. They followed him into the forest and Bil until Bilbo had gone as far as he dared, then quieter than a mouse, he stole back. He had precious little time, he knew, before the spiders were disgusted and came back to their trees where the dwarves were hung. In the meanwhile, he had to rescue them. The worst part of the job was getting up onto the long branch where the bundles were dangling. I don't suppose he would have managed it if a spider had not luckily left a rope hanging down. With its help, though it stuck to his hand and hurt him, he scrambled up only to meet an old, slow, wicked, fat-bodied spider who had remained behind to guard the prisoners and had been busy pinching them to see which was the juiciest to eat. It had thought of starting the feast while the others were away, but Mr. Baggins was in a hurry, and before the spider knew what had happened, it felt his sting and rolled off the branch dead. Bilbo's next job was to loose a dwarf. What was he to do? If he cut the string which hung him up, the wretched dwarf would tumble thump to the ground a good way below. Wiggling along the branch, which made all the poor dwarves dance and dangle like ripe fruit, he reached the first bundle. Feely or Keely, he thought, by the tip of the blue hood sticking out at the top. Most likely Feely, he thought, by the tip of the long nose poking out of the winding threads. He managed by leaning over to cut most of the strong, th sticky threads that bound him round, and then, sure enough, with a kick and a struggle, most of Feely appeared. I'm afraid Bilbo actually laughed at the sight of him jerking his stiff arms and legs as he danced on the spider string under his armpits, just like one of those funny toys bobbing on a wire. Somehow or other, Feely was got onto the branch, and then he did his best to help the hobbit, although he was feeling very sick and ill from spider poison and from hanging most of the night and the next day wound round and round with only his nose to breathe through. It took him ages to get the beastly stuff out of his eyes and ear eyebrows, and as for his beard, he had to cut most of it off. Well, between them, they started to haul up the f first one dwarf and then another and slash them free. None of them were better off than Feely, and some of them were worse. Some had hardly been able to breathe at all. Long noses are sometimes useful, you see. And some had been more poisoned. In this way, they rescued Keely, Biffer, Boffer, Dory, and Nori. Poor old Bomber was so exhausted, he was the fattest and had been constantly pinched and poked 
that he had just rolled off the branch and fell plop onto the ground, fortunately onto leaves, and lay there. But there were still five dwarves hanging at the end of the branch when the spiders began to come back, more full of rage than ever. Bilbo immediately went to the end of the branch nearest the tree trunk and kept back those that crawled up. He had taken off his ring when he rescued Feely and forgotten to put it on again. So now they all began to splutter and hiss. Now we see you, you nasty little creature. We will eat you and leave your bones and skin hanging on a tree. Ugh, he's got a sting, has he? Well, we'll get him all the same, and then we'll hang him head downwards for a day or two. While this was going on, the other dwarves were working at the rest of the captives and cutting at the threads with their knives. Soon all would be free, though it was not clear what would happen after that. The spiders had caught them pretty easily the night before, but that had been unawares and in the dark. This time, there looked like being a horrible battle. Suddenly, Bilbo noticed that some of the spiders had gathered round all Bomber on the floor and had tied him up again and were dragging him away. He gave a shout and slashed at the spiders in front of him. They quickly gave way and he scrambled and fell down the tree right into the middle of those on the ground. His little sword was something new in the way of stings for them. How it darted to and fro. It shone with delight as it stabbed at them. Half a dozen were killed before the rest drew off and left Bomber to Bilbo. Come down, come down, he shouted to the dwarves on the branch. Don't stay up there and be netted. For he saw spiders swarming up all the neighboring trees and crawling along the boughs above the heads of the dwarves. Down the door scrambled, or jumped, or dropped, eleven all in a heap, most of them very shaky and little use on their legs. There they were at last, twelve of them, counting poor old Bomber, who was being propped up on either side by his cousin Biffer and his brother Boffer, and Bilbo was dancing about and waving his sting, and hundreds of angry spiders were goggling at them all round and about and above. It looked pretty hopeless. Then the battle began. Some of the dwarves had knives, and some had sticks, and all of them could get at stones, and Bilbo had his elvish dagger. Again and again the spiders were, beating off, were beaten off, and many of them were killed, but it could not go on for long. Bilbo was nearly tired out. Only four of the dwarves were able to stand firmly, and soon they would all be overpowered like weary flies. Already the spiders were beginning to weave their webs all around them again from tree to tree. In the end, Bilbo could think of no plan except to let the dwarves into the secret of his wing. Ring. He was rather sorry about it, but he could not be helped. I am going to disappear, he said. I shall draw the spiders off if I can, and you must keep together and make in the opposite direction, to the left there. That is more or less the way towards the place where we saw the last elf fires. It was difficult to get them to understand what with their dizzy heads and the shouts and the whacking of sticks and the throwing of stones. But at last Bilbo felt he could delay no longer. The spiders were drawing their circle ever closer. He suddenly slipped on the ring and to the great astonishment of the dwarves, he vanished. Soon there came the sound of Lazy Lob and Edderkop from among the trees away on the right. 
That, it's, that upset the spiders greatly. They stopped advancing, and some went off in the direction of the voice. Edercott made them so angry that they lost their wits. Then Balin, who had grasped Bilbo's plan better than the rest, led an attack. The dwarves huddled together in a knot, and sending a shower of stones, they drove at the spiders on the left and burst through the ring. Away behind them now, the shouting and singing suddenly stopped. Hoping desperately that Bilbo had not been caught, the dwarves went on. Not fast enough, though. They were sick and weary, and they could not go much better than a hobble and a wobble, though many of the spiders were close behind. Every now and then they had to turn and fight the creatures that were overtaking them, and already some spiders were in the trees above them and throwing down their long, clinging threads. Things were looking pretty bad again when suddenly Bilbo reappeared and charged into the astonished spiders unexpectedly from the side. Go on, go on, he shouted. I will do the stinging. And he did. He darted backwards and forwards, slashing at spider threads, hacking at their legs, and stabbing at their fat bodies if they came too near. The spiders swelled with rage and spluttered and froth and hissed out horrible curses. But they had become mortally afraid of sting and dared not come very near now that it had come back. So curse as they would, their prey moved slowly but steadily away. It was a most terrible business and seemed to take hours. But at last, just when Bilbo felt that he could not lift his hand for a single stroke more, the spider suddenly gave it up and followed them no more, but went back disappointed to their dark colony. The dwarves then noticed that they had come to the edge of a ring where elf fires had been. Whether it was one of those they had seen the night before, they could not tell, but it seemed that some good magic lingered in such spots with the, which the spiders did not like. At any rate, here the light was greener and the boughs less thick and threatening, and they had a chance to rest and draw breath. There they lay for some time, puffing and panting, but very soon they began to ask questions. They had to have the whole vanishing business carefully explained, and the finding of the ring interested them so much that for a while they forgot their own troubles. Balin, in particular, insisted on having the Gollum story, riddles and all, told all over again with the ring in its proper place. But after a time, the light began to fail, and then other questions were asked. Where were they, and where was their path, and where was there any food, and what were they going to do next? These questions they asked over and over again, and it was from little Bilbo that they seemed to expect to get the answers. From which you can see that they had changed their opinion of Mr. Baggins very much, and had begun to have great respect for him, as Gandalf said they would. Indeed, they really expected him to think, of, to think of some wonderful plan for helping them, and they were not merely grumbling. They knew only too well that they would soon all have been dead if it had not been for the hobbit, and they thanked him many times. Some of them even got up and bowed right to the ground before him, though they fell over with the effort and could not get on their legs again for some time. Knowing the truth about the vanishing did not lessen their opinion of Bilbo at all, for they saw that he had some wits as well as luck and a magic ring, and all three are very useful possessions. 
In fact, they praised him so much that Bill began to feel there, was, there really was something of a bold adventurer about him after all, though he would have felt a lot bolder still if there had been anything to eat. But there was nothing, nothing at all, and none of them were fit to go and look for anything or to search for the lost path. The lost path! No other idea would come into Bilbo's tired head. He sat just staring in front of him at the endless trees, and after a while they all fell silent again, all except Balin. Long after the others had stopped talking and shut their eyes, he kept on muttering and chuckling to himself. Go on. Well, I'm blessed. So that's how he sneaked past me, is it? Now I know. Just crept along silently, did you, Mr. Baggins? Buttons all over the doorstep. Good old Bilbo. 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 Bo. 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 And then he fell asleep, and there was complete silence for a long while. All of a sudden, Gwalin opened an eye and looked around them. Where is Thorin? he asked. It was a terrible shock. Of course, there were only thirteen of them, twelve dwarves and the hobbit. Where indeed was Thorin? They wondered what evil fate had befallen him, magic or dark monsters, and shuddered as they lay lost in the forest. There they dropped, dropped off one by one into uncomfortable sleep, full of horrible dreams, as evening wore a black night, and there we must leave them for the present, too sick and weary to set guards or take turns at watching. Thorin had been caught much faster than they had. You remember Bilbo falling like a log into sleep as he stepped into a circle of light? The next time it had been Thorin who stepped forward, and as the lights went out, he fell like a stone enchanted. All the noise of the dwarves lost in the night, their cries of the spiders caught them and bound them, and all the sounds of the battle the next day had passed over him unheard. Then the wood elves had come to him and bound him and carried him away. The feasting people were wood elves, of course. These are not wicked folk. If they have a fault, it is in distrust of strangers. Though their magic was strong, even in those days, they were wary. They differed from the high elves of the west and were more dangerous and less wise. For most of them, together with their scattered relations in the hills and mountains, were descended from the ancient tribes that never went to fairy in the west. There the light elves and the deep elves and the sea elves went and lived for ages and grew fairer and wiser and more learned and invented their magic and their cunning craft in the making of beautiful and marvelous things before some came back into the wide world. In the wild world, the wood elves lingered in the twilight of our sun and moon, but loved best the stars, and they wandered in the great forest that grew tall in lands that are now lost. They dwelt most often by the edges of the woods, from which they could escape at times to hunt, or to ride and run over the open lands by moonlight or starlight. And after the coming of men, they took ever more and more to the gloaming and the dusk. Still, elves they were and remain, and that is good people. In a great cave some miles within the edge of Mirkwood, on its eastern side, there lived at this time their greatest king. 
Before his huge doors of stone, a river ran out of the heights of the forest and flowed on and out into the marshes at the feet of the high wooded lands. This great cave, from which countless smaller ones opened out on every side, wound far underground and had many passages and wide halls, but it was lighter and more wholesome than any goblin dwelling, and neither so deep nor so dangerous. In fact, the subjects of the king mostly lived and hunted in the open woods, and had houses or huts on the ground and in the branches. The beeches were their favorite trees. The king's cave was his palace and the strong place of his treasure and the fortress of his people against their enemies. It was also the dungeon of his prisoners. So to the cave they dragged Thorin, not too gently, for they did not love dwarves and thought he was an enemy. In ancient days they had had wars with some of the dwarves, whom they accused of stealing their treasure. It was only fair to say that the dwarves gave a different account, and said that they only took what was their due, for the elf king had bargained with them to shape his raw gold and silver, and had afterwards refused to give them their pay. If the elf king had a weakness, it was for treasure, especially for silver and white gems, and though his hoard was rich, he was ever eager for more, since he had not yet as great a treasure as the other elf lords of old. His people neither mined nor worked metals or jewels, nor did they bother much with trade or with tilling the earth. All this was well known to every dwarf, though Thorin's family had had nothing to do with the old quarrel I have spoken of. Consequently, Thorin was angry at their treatment of him when they took their spell off him and he came to his senses. And also, he was determined that no word of gold or jewels should be dragged out of him. The king looked sternly on Thorin when he was brought before him and asked him many questions, but Thorin would only say that he was starving. Why did you and your folk three times try to attack my people at their merrymaking? asked the king. We did not attack them, answered Thorin. We came to beg because we were starving. Where are your friends now, and what are they doing? I don't know, but I expect starving in the forest. What were you doing in the forest? Looking for food and drink because we were starving. But what brought you into the forest at all? asked the king angrily. At that, Thorn shut his mouth and would not say another word. Very well, said the king. Take him away and keep him safe until he feels inclined to tell the truth, even if he waits a hundred years. Then the elves put thongs on him and shut him in one of the inmost caves with strong wooden doors and left him. They gave him food and drink, plenty of both, if not very fine. For wood elves were not goblins and were reasonably well behaved even to their worst enemies when they captured them. The giant spiders were the only living things that they had no mercy upon. There in the king's dungeon, poor Thorn lay, and after he had got over his thankfulness for bread and meat and water, he began to wonder what had become of his unfortunate friends. It was not very long before he discovered, but that belongs to the next chapter and the beginning of another adventure in which the hobbit again showed his usefulness. End of chapter 8, part 3.